0: Chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, the last time we were here we looked at the first six verses and this morning we're looking at the rest of the the chapter, verse 7 through 15. Uh, This is looking at the end of time and Jesus is speaking to us about what's going to happen at the end of the age. This morning specifically we're looking at the defeat of Satan and the judgment throne. I'd like to begin at verse 1 so we get a sense of the context. Let's give our attention. This is God's holy word. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's ask the Lord to bless. Our God in heaven, now we come in submission to your word. These are hard words and yet glorious words as we see our king deal with evil and redeem and rescue his own. And so we pray, Lord, that your spirit now would give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you growing up in the church, uh, these truths and doctrines that we have here this morning are uh, familiar to you. It's not a new thought to you that Jesus Christ is coming again to to judge. Uh, but I think it's it's uh, helpful for us just to recognize that of all the truths of Scripture, Uh, This might be the most offensive truth uh, to the world around us in which we live. Uh, Those with a guilty conscience, those who have a a sense because the law has been written on their heart that they've sinned against a God, however they conceive of a God, um, are, are terrified by this truth, this doctrine, this teaching um, they, they're, they're afraid to die because they know that after they die, they sense there's an, there's an accounting, and they sense they're not ready for that accounting. One of the most uh, tragic things I remember hearing uh, from, uh, from 9-11 were the recordings of, of people uh, who were confessing, um, I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to die. That's a, it's a, it's a devastating thing to say when you are about to die. But there are many also around us who have hardened consciences, who they are offended greatly by this idea that there is a God in heaven who would uh, hold them accountable uh, for not obeying Him, for not loving Him, for, uh, for things that they've done wrong in His mind, and, and a God who would, have, uh, who would threaten them with judgment, with, with hell. That just seems to be an in, in incredibly egregious thing for a God uh, to threaten. Uh, It feels like an assault on human autonomy. Uh, It feels like a a denial of basic human goodness. And of course, Judgment Day uh, is is both of those things. It is a divine assault on the fantasy of human autonomy that we can't actually live as we choose and there's no accounting. And it is a, um, it's a, it's a clear, rebuttal of basic human goodness. As on that judgment day, the, uh, there's going to be an incredible ex- expose of human evil. All the ways that we have failed to honor God and love Him and serve Him as we are required to do. And so the, the, the truth that we have is an offensive truth, and yet it's one of the basic tenets of the Christian faith. When we uh, recite together the Apostles' Creed, We confess this as a basic truth, that Jesus rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. This is what Christians profess as true all over the world and throughout the ages. And again, that's the offense. The world does not mind a Christmas Jesus, a a cute little baby born in a manger. It's a message of hope. Uh, The world does not mind an Easter Jesus. Again, um, sort of a, a, a message of victory and triumph and hope in the springtime. It's the judgment day Jesus that offends. And yet that is who he is. If you get nothing else out of the message this morning, just let that truth Uh, be clear that the baby born of a virgin and the crucified one who came from the grave and ascended into heaven has promised that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. In chapter 20, the last verses here, 7 through 15, we're going to see uh, three things. We're going to see that the Satan is going to be released for a short time. Then we're going to see that the devil is destroyed and the dead are raised to stand before the great white throne of judgment. Let's look then first at the, at the, the destruction of the devil, um, and noticing first that the devil is released. Verse 7, when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. I don't want to get uh, um, back in the weeds here, but we looked at this two weeks ago, and we, remember we, we um, saw in the first part of chapter 20 that the thousand years... Uh, Satan is bound and, and and imprisoned for a thousand years and that thousand years is the gospel age the time between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ during that thousand years Jesus is reigning Jesus is gathering his church Jesus is um, assaulting in a sense the kingdom of, of, of darkness and and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the the assault of the gospel as Jesus is saving every single person for whom he died but that we're told here in Scripture that there's going to be an End to that gospel age, there's going to be a time where a short time where the devil is released for a little while. Um, he is going to be released specifically to once again deceive the nations as he had in the past uh, before Christ came. And he's going to gather them to attack the church. That's verse 9. Now remember, this is spiritual warfare, We're not talking about guns and tanks. But, uh, but Jesus is telling us that the, the, um, there's going to be a releasing of the devil and, and a, an onslaught of powers of darkness so that the world will seem to be controlled by the devil and people will be increasingly and profoundly under the power of evil. That's what Jesus is telling us. Paul speaks of the same thing in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says. Understand this... treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul is really going into detail to paint a picture of what happens to people when evil takes over. And Paul is clearly telling us, as he's learned from Jesus, that in the last days, this is what we're going to see. People will be unappeasable, and you will not be able to reason with them as they are about to put you to death. Jesus wants us to know that the devil is going to gather the nations in order to assault the church, and it's going to look like he's won. They will surround, we're told, the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and their numbers like the sand of the sea. Uh, the church will seem hopelessly overmatched, overwhelmed, uh, and will seem to be snuffed out. If, if um, we was just reading recently about Korea and uh, how there was, there was a Christian presence in Korea— before World War II, uh, thinking particularly of the, the northern part of the peninsula, but once the, the, communism came into power in, the North, in North Korea, uh, it was maybe the most effective campaign of wiping out the church in the history of the world, the article said. Uh, I, I sense that that might be what we're being told here, that there will be a campaign to wipe out the church. Now, of course, there are believers in North Korea. But, but the assault has been overwhelming. And, and Jesus tells us that um, it, will, it will feel like that. Many, many will be put to death. Everyone who calls himself a Christian will suffer. Many will fall away. Uh, many who profess to be Christian today and are seated in church today uh, will, when this happens, decide it's not worth it. <laughs> One of my great fears when I look at um, sort of the health and wealth prosperity gospel that is so popular in our land and all over the world is that the health uh, gospel that Jesus has come to make your life better uh, and the wealth gospel that Jesus has come to make you richer if you just exercise your faith, that message, you see, has, has no um, ability to stand and endure when this happens. Because if Jesus has come to give me health and wealth, then where's Jesus when the world's falling apart? Where's Jesus when I'm suffering persecution for his namesake? Jesus promises that these things are going to happen. Now, why does he tell us this? Well, he tells us this for two reasons. He wants us to be forewarned so that we're prepared Jesus told his disciples things like this. He told them what was going to happen to him. He's going to be crucified. They couldn't even hear it. And yet when it happened, they could remember that Jesus had told them it was going to happen. And they could see his sovereign authority over it. Jesus tells us that these things are going to happen because these things will threaten our faith. These things will make us wonder. Is this really God reigning over this world? It does not look like God is reigning. Is this suffering really worthwhile? Are we really loved? Are we really cared for? What happened to Psalm 121? The Lord doesn't slumber and he doesn't sleep. He's the keeper of Israel. Those are really the questions that people are asking on that day. Well, Jesus is telling us right now that these things are going to happen so that when they do happen and when we are suffering this way, we will not be surprised. We will understand this is exactly what Jesus said had said would take place, and we can have confidence. Jesus is telling us these things um, because he wants us to know this will be for a little while, that he wants us to have the assurance that we will, as God's people, triumph. No matter how mighty the devil seems, his doom is sure. In a moment, he will be destroyed, and that's the point of verse 9. Possibly the shortest rendition of a battle in all of human history. Here is this great final battle. The devil has gathered his forces. They have encircled the camp. They've encircled the beloved city. They are about to finally, once for all, wipe out the church. But, one of the greatest words in Scripture, but, fire came down from heaven and consumed them. End of battle. That's it. The, the defeat is, is sudden, complete, dramatic, overwhelming, over. That is often how God um, carries out his warfare. Uh, boys and girls, if you remember the story of, of Moses leading uh, Israel out of Egypt, remember they were in a, <clears throat> they were in a position much like this. They were backed up to the Red Sea. Uh, Pharaoh, with, uh, who had the greatest military in the world, is coming after, his army's coming after them. There's no way to escape. They are completely surrounded. Uh, their doom is just moments away. And then God miraculously opens a path through the Red Sea. Israel makes its way through. Pharaoh follows. And, uh, and in a moment, the walls collapse, and um, it's over. Just in a moment, It's done. Pharaoh's army is wiped out, and Israel set free. Well, that was a foretaste, a little picture of what's going to happen on this great and final day. The devil is going to be completely destroyed and, um, and cast into the sea of fire. That's verse 10. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the end of evil in God's world. We read uh, in Genesis when the devil entered the world and attempted Adam and Eve and has been working his evil, devastating power ever since. This is the end of all that. We live in a moral universe where evil actually will be judged and condemned and destroyed forever. Forever. He will be gone, never to reappear in God's new world. That is incredibly good news. As we live now in the presence of of evil, we need to have this vision for a day when it's all done and it's all gone, because that's what Jesus promises But here in chapter 20, we don't just have the destruction of the devil. We have the judgment of all those who followed him, the judgment of men. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and and him who was seated on it. That him, of course, is Jesus Christ himself, the one to whom God has given the authority to judge. This great white throne, we see several things about it. First of all, it is unavoidable. It's, It's inescapable. Every single person who ever lived is going to stand before the judgment of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged. In the ancient world, uh, the sea and death and Hades uh, sort of all belong together. It was thought maybe that the gates of of Sheol, which is the realm of the dead, uh, Hades, it's down at the bottom of the sea someplace. And if you died at sea and were buried at sea, you could not be more lost to the world. Your body is is perfectly uh, unrecoverable. Um, People sometimes uh, cremate. Bodies, right today, and and sometimes people cremate bodies because if there's a final judgment, well, good luck uh, in in raising this body uh, because it it was cremated and the ashes were were sown to the wind or or mixed in with the ocean. I mean, it's gone. Uh, No, it's not gone. Jesus promises that the bodies that that he created will um, be reconstituted brought back from the dead. The sea will give up. Those who were buried, those who were cremated, are going to find themselves in a body, a resurrected body, standing before the throne. Every single person will be present and accounted for. No one will be missing. So it it is an unavoidable moment. It is also a just moment, perfect justice. Jesus takes his seat, and we're told that the books were opened. The books were opened. You see that the judge has taken his place and now the evidence will be presented and that's what the books are about. They are the evidence, the record of every person's life. Now again, the, the, these are not literal books, but they they show us that every thought that that we entertain, every word that we speak, every motive of our heart, every action that we perform is all recorded and the evidence then uh, that uh, of all that, will be brought on the last day. The, the evidence that will be presented will simply be the life that you lived, the actual life you lived. That's said twice for emphasis in verses 12 and 13. Notice, the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Verse 13, they were judged, each one, according to what they had done. The books that are presented here then are not written by God uh, they' are the books that are written by the actions and deeds and thoughts and words of men. you wrote the book the judge is just reading from it. so no one on that day will be able to say well that's not true that, that, that never happened you, you simply will not not be able to say it the fact that it's that it's there is evidence that it that it happened and your conscience will convict you that it happened. You see, this is one of the great deceptions of the devil, uh, suggesting that there's no link between what we do in our life today and what will happen on that day and how we will spend eternity. The devil convinces us uh, that that we can say what we want to say, think what we want to think, uh, do what we want to do, sin as we choose, and there are no eternal consequences to to consider, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in the secret places of your mind, what happens in the dark cannot hurt you uh, and, and particularly people have a sense that if, if we are only sinning the way other people are sinning, we'll be fine. If if you uh, um, uh, drive down the expressway and the speed limit is 70 and you're going 74, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll look around and you'll, and you'll probably maybe think to yourself, I'm going over the speed limit and there's the police officer, but, but everyone's going 74 or 75 or 76. I'm just a normal violator. I'll be fine. And you know, and truth be told, you will be. For Uh, the state of Michigan regarding uh, going down the expressway at 74 miles an hour. You'll most likely be fine. Uh, You will not be fine on the day of judgment. You see, what happens in Vegas gets written down in a book. What happens in the secret places of your mind and in the dark places of your life is kept for the day of judgment. And though you may be a perfectly normal sinner, no better, no worse than anyone else, every sin you actually commit is an offense against God, and it will testify against you on the day of judgment. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. There will not be a single sin that God will note and say, oh, don't worry about that one. Everyone, every sin will be recorded. And so it's unavoidable, and it's perfectly just. You see, justice will simply be applied to what we actually did. And that's it. Thirdly, it's irrevocable. Uh, This judgment is final. If anyone's name, verse 15, was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. On the day of judgment, friends, there will be no plea bargaining. There will be no reduced sentences, no time off for good behavior, no appeals process, perfect justice forever. Everyone whose name is not found written in the book of life, everyone who is judged according to the books will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, again, that's a, that's a doctrine that's a hard doctrine. What is, it, what is this lake of fire? I don't, think it's, I don't think it's literal. It's symbolic, but symbolic of what? Jesus speaks of lakes of fire throughout the Gospels. He talks about places where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The worm uh, never dies and the fire's not quenched. A place of eternal torment and misery, cast out of the favor and loving presence of God. Jesus wants us, friends, to understand there is such a thing as hell. A real hell where actual people will experience the justice of a holy God due for their very acts and words and thoughts. No one in hell, friends, will say this is unfair. The evidence will simply be overwhelming and their conscience will confirm it. But, notice... There are two books, or two different types of books. There are the books of evidence, and then there's the book of life, the book of life. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and then another book was opened, the book of life. This is where we start to get hopeful. Uh, Another book. What's this other book? Well, this other book, you see, is, is, is a book not written by our sinful words and sinful thoughts and sinful deeds. This other book is a book written by God's own, his, his own hand, and it, it is a book about all God's saving words and God's saving acts and saving deeds. It contains the names of those who belong to Jesus, called to be saints, it contains the names of those who, whose sins have been forgiven because Jesus died for those sins and, and suffered the curse and condemnation for those sins when he died on that cross. And so you see, when the, when the text says that everyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire, it's also telling us that everyone whose name was written in the book of life was not thrown into the lake of fire, but was actually welcomed into eternal life. That'll be chapter 21. You see, the, the, the great division on the day of judgment will not be between good people and bad people. It will not be between religious people and irreligious people. The Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. The difference on the day of judgment will be which book is determining your destiny. Will it be the book of evidence, containing the book containing all your actual deeds, or will it be the book of life? That is, the, that is what will determine how you spend eternity. So the ultimate question for you, and for me, you see, is is just this. Is your name in the book of life? That's that's the question. Is your name written in the book of life? On that day of judgment when the books are open and and this other book, the book of life is open, and they they look for your name, will it be found there in the book of life? Well, I think the common answer in the church is, I hope so. I think if you're honest with yourself, you've answered that way, and maybe that's how you answered just now. I hope so. But you're not sure. Friends, the gospel is better than we imagine. Nowhere in scripture are we uh, commanded to hope for the best when it comes to judgment day. You just won't find that verse. Um, That's the the answer that religion gives. Do your best and hope for the best. Do your best, try to to keep the commands, admit when you fail, just do the best you can do and hope it's good enough. That's the answer of religion. It's not the message of the gospel. The gospel, you see, gives a clear command with a certain promise. The gospel says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the command, you will be saved, that's the promise. Listen to what Jesus says in John 5, 24. Truly, truly, so he wants us to hear this. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. That's Jesus' word. He, that person who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, that person does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Paul says the same in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the scripture says, and the scriptures cannot be broken, that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, there is a way to know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Hear the words of Jesus. Hear them. Believe in the one who sent him. And you can know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Confess your sin. Repent. What does, Paul, what does Peter say to the men who are struck to the heart because they've been convinced that they were responsible for crucifying the Son of God? And, P- and, and, and Peter tells them, repent, be baptized, confess, believe. Come to Jesus Christ, come running to Jesus Christ to be saved by his righteous works on your behalf. There's a way to know that your name is written in the book of life. The gospel assures you that as you confess your sin, as you flee to Jesus Christ, as you trust his righteousness freely given to you on the cross, as you actually embrace that and then submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus says when he says, here's my words. Because remember, there's a story about two people who heard the the Bible story, the Bible message, and one was like a man who built his house on sand, and one is a man who built his house on rock. And when the the flood of judgment came, the man's house on sand was swept away. Why? He didn't hear the word. He didn't put it into practice. The words that he heard had no impact on the life he actually lived. It wasn't molded by them. And so he was swept away. Jesus told that story. Because Jesus wants us to really hear. Jesus wants his word to have, to have, have that impact. Because you see, if, if, if we believe in Jesus in that way, and we, and we receive his word in that way, we can know there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8. The Jesus who died is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. That means, friends, that that if you are truly a Christian, when you come to Judgment Day and you come to stand before the great white throne, the judge will be your Redeemer. Jesus. So there's no condemnation, none at all. No shaming on the last day. Jesus isn't going to review your life and shake his head. I'm I'm sorry you, you didn't. Do as well as you could have done, but welcome into your eternal rest. It's not what it's going to be. On the basis, you see, of his saving work and imputed righteousness, Jesus, your Redeemer, is going to say, welcome home. Welcome home. Enter into your eternal rest. Calvin, John Calvin, says this, that... that, um, Hence arises a wonderful consolation. Our judgment is in the hands of him who has already destined us to share in his glory. He does not mount his judgment seat to condemn us. How could our most merciful ruler destroy his own people? How could the head of the church scatter his own members? How could our great advocate condemn his own clients? He cannot. He will not. If you are in Jesus Christ, by faith alone, if you've confessed your sin to Jesus, if you, the Holy Spirit has, is bearing witness with your spirit, you're a child of God because you, you, you long for the things of God, um, the, the Bible tells you and assures you, Jesus promises to you, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And Jesus says in chapters 3, verse 5, to the one who perseveres and overcomes, his name will never be blotted out from the book of life. So, friend, the question for you is, where are you spiritually truly? Not not do you go to church, not do you believe in God. The devil, of course, believes in God. Just actually, where are you spiritually truly? Because that, that question will never leave you alone. And that question will actually determine your eternal destiny. You'll never avoid it. You'll either face it today and deal with it today, or you'll face it then and deal with it then. And you see, Jesus is speaking in this gospel age because his desire is that you be saved and that I be saved. Jesus desires sinners to acknowledge their sin and know that there's not a single thought, word, or action that we've ever committed that has the power to condemn us When we come to Jesus, he forgave it all. And that means that you and I can look forward with expectation and eagerness to the day of judgment because it's going to be a day when we see Jesus, when we are united, when we're finally fully given to him, when we're made like him. We're going to hear not condemnation. You can have confidence. You will not hear words of condemnation as the song says, but to those who have confessed, loved and served the Lord below, he will say, come near ye blessed. See the kingdom I bestow. You forever shall my love and glory know. Friends, Jesus wants you to hear that. He wants you to know that. And you can know it today. If you've never actually called on the name of Jesus Christ, don't let this day go past. I don't... And, and if, you, if you're not sure, then, then simply today, bend the knee and say, Lord Jesus, I want this gospel. The gospel where you promise that as I confess my sin and call on your name, I can know my name is written in the book of life and it will never be removed. May God grant us that confidence, that, that assurance and the joy that it brings. Amen. Oh God in heaven, you know our hearts vastly better than we do. And Jesus, um, it is almost certain that there are folks here this morning who are not ready to meet you. Uh, We've not repented of secret, cherished sin. Uh, We're content to live our life, maybe add a little religion to it. But what we're pursuing is is our goals, our ends, our dreams, our desires, and not the things of God. Uh, Lord, there might be some who have been born and raised in the church and who think that uh, that somehow protects them. But in truth, there's no love for Christ. Jesus, you know our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we, by your spirit, could know as well. And that, Lord, today... This truth of a judgment day would not just be an interesting topic, something to reflect on, except bits and, and pieces, but Lord, we'd have a deep sense of our own mortality, that we will stand to face Jesus, and he will either be the most precious, precious thing we've ever seen, or the most terrifying thing we've ever seen. And Lord, I pray today that you would prepare us for that day. And that we would live, Lord, then as as people who are confident, confident that we have passed from death to life. And that there's no condemnation. And that that day holds no danger for us because we are hid with Christ in God. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and close our service singing Day of Judgment, Day of Wonders.